everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. I know a few episodes ago I talked about New Year's resolutions, and I don't remember what mine were, but I assume I'm doing pretty well on them. Heck, if one of them was to buy a deeply discounted football-shaped cake the day after the Super Bowl and eat it by myself, I knocked that one out of the park. But as self-improvement is an ongoing process, I have a new resolution I'd like to add onto the pile. From now on, instead of just giggling and saying, nice, when I see the number 69, I'm also going to start shaking my head sadly and saying, sad, when I see the number 96. Because that's just two people going out of their way to ignore each other's butts. And that's sad. Anyway, we got a heck of a lot of show to get to, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. When Donna charged for sodas, the Titans went popless. When Hub read a comic, he wrote this synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 49, December 1984. The Light That Failed. Prelude and Epilogue, written by Marv Wolfman, trotted by George Perez, inked by Mike DiCarlo, lettered by Todd Klein, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Main Story, written by Marv Wolfman, trotted by Carmen Infantino, inked by Mike DiCarlo, lettered by Bob LaPan, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call, Nightwing, Wonder Girl, Starfire, Cyborg, Kid Flash, Francis Kane, Beast Boy, silently and in one panel. Hooray. And Lilith. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. After years of petulant prevarication, sulky super speedster Wally West, a.k.a. Kid Flash, finally stopped his passive-aggressive bullshittery long enough to quit our titular teenage team. The rapid-running retiree moved back to his Midwestern hometown with his magnet-powered childhood chum, Francis Kane. Wally swung by the Titan Tower for a visit when he heard that his former teammate, the duplicitous dirt-distributing double-agent Terra, had died in battle. The Titans declined to mention that Terra had eviled herself to death in an attempt to murder her teammates, and Wally declined to mention that lately, whenever he used his super speed, it caused him tremendous pain. After exchanging passive-aggressive pleasantries, the junior Wizard of Wiz bid his buddies an awkward adieu. After their formerly fleet-footed friend fled, the other Titans joined their shirtless pal Aqualad, hooray, on an undersea adventure, and were accidental accomplices to the self-destruction of a team of teenage proxies for the DN agents. Whoops. Throughout the Titans' turbulent tribulations, Wonder Girl continued to prepare for her impending wedding to divorced community college professor Terry Long, whose ex-wife Marsha had just informed him that she needed to discuss something urgent. Gadzooks! Will Marsha's news mean trouble for Terry and Donna? How will Francis and Wally spend their time now that they're retired from superheroing? And will Wally be the biggest asshole to appear in this issue? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Surprisingly, no. None whatsoever. 
by using their superpowers to thwart a supervillain. And seeing as Terry's piece-of-shit brother Barry and photonic fuckwit Dr. Light both appear in this issue? Actually, still yes. In the prologue, Terry Long and his groomsmen are getting fitted for tuxes. Terry's piece-of-shit brother Barry and his crappy pal Jerry are giving Dick Grayson shit. They're like, Hey kid, how come you aren't constantly talking shit about your girlfriend the way we do about our wives? Do you not have a girlfriend to talk shit about? Oh, or she just super ugly. That must be it. Your girlfriend's super ugly, isn't she? Dick, why won't you talk to us about your super ugly girlfriend? We are men and this is how we talk. Barry and Jerry continue to drunk uncle around as Terry and Dick ignore them. When the fitting is done, Donna and Starfire show up to greet their respective partners. Barry and Jerry lose their shit over how pretty Coriander is. See guys, Dick wasn't not talking about her because he was ashamed of her appearance. He just didn't feel the need to denigrate her as part of some bullshit male bonding ritual. Also, he sometimes forgets that other people exist. The ladies give Terry a ride home. On the way, Donna asks what emergency Terry's ex had needed to discuss with him. Terry tells her that Marcia just wanted to make sure he had a babysitter for their daughter Jenny. Oh. Okay. During the car trip, Jenny plays with and talks to her doll Mary, which I think is supposed to be cute, and I suppose it is, but I've read too many comics and when a kid talks to a doll or an imaginary friend, I immediately suspect that we've got an evil ghost or a secret killer robot situation on our hands. That's probably on me. Meanwhile, Cyborg is moping around his apartment, sulking because he doesn't have a date to Donna's wedding tomorrow. His globetrotting grandparents, Meadowlark and Curly, no, wait, wrong globetrotters, Tucker and Maudie, start giving him shit and are like, what about that pretty young blonde lady, Sarah Sims, with whom you keep going back and forth on whether you might or might not be dating? It's been like 41 issues of this bullshit. Maybe ask her. At his grandparents' insistence, perhaps under implied threat that they might dribble around him comedically and then throw a bucket of confetti at him, Vic calls Sarah and nervously asks her to be his date. She agrees. Hooray! After dropping off Terry, Donna takes Coriander to meet up with the other bridesmaids, her sister Wonder Woman, her old roommate Sharon Tracy, and her old pal and former Titan Lilith. Hooray! We haven't seen Lilith since the original Titan series when Captain Calamity hijacked her brain and used her inconsistent psychic powers to steal Long Island. Ah, oh, those were the days. Sharon tells Donna that she's happy for her, but that getting married at 19 is dumb, and the Amazonian teen really ought to fuck around a lot more first. Somewhat surprisingly, nobody goes out of their way to slut-shame Sharon. Hooray! Donna tells her buddies that she's a little bummed out that Wally West hasn't RSVP'd, and is hoping that he'll make it in time for the wedding. In Wally's defense, he has been pretty busy. With his superpowers on the fritz, he has to be a whiny jerk at regular speed now, which takes up a lot more of his time. Sharon offers to call the self-absorbed speedster and harangue him into attending the wedding of one of his oldest friends. Wally isn't home, so she leaves him a message. And just what is the formerly fast invitation ignorer doing that is so important that he can't answer the phone? Let's transition into the main story and find out. Notorious shitheel Dr. Light is attacking the Midwestern metropolis of Central City. A civilian-suited Wally West and Francis Kane are doing their best to thwart the terrible goatee-having menace. Well, I guess technically Francis has only ever worn civilian clothes, and a terrible goatee is a menace in its own right, but 
You get the picture. It's not going so great. Wally's worried that using his powers will kill him, but then he gets shot by a stray laser beam and starts worrying that Dr. Light's powers will kill him instead. Wally and Fran reckon this is as good a time as any to stare off into the middle distance and reminisce about a simpler time. Earlier that afternoon. The two teens were on their way to a meeting with The Flash, a.k.a. Barry Allen, so that Wally could fill in his former mentor on the fact that his powers had gone all screwy of late. On their way to the rocky summit where the meeting was to take place for some reason, Francis's jeep had gotten two flat tires. So, the magnanimous magnet maven used her powers to fly the vehicle through the air, like she was Fred McMurray in The Absent-Minded Professor, only with less cheating at high school sports. Okay, I guess that reference is a little dated these days. Let's try that again. She flew through the air like she was Fred McMurray in the sequel to The Absent-Minded Professor, Son of Flubber, only with less cheating on high school sports. That's better. Man, that guy loved to help his local high school cheat at sports. When they arrived at the meeting place, they found that the Flash was running a little late. Wally was like, This is weird, because Barry Allen's never late for anything. Oh well, I guess it's nice to have the extra time to whine about the fact that I never wanted these powers. Okay, Wally, so a couple of things about that. A. Barry Allen was constantly late for everything. It was one of his defining characteristics throughout the Silver Age. And two, you totally wanted those superpowers. Jeez, read a comic book. Just then, an announcer on the radio interrupts Wally's rewriting of history with a news bulletin that Dr. Light was attacking Central City. Wally opined that he'd better get going because only he could stop this menace, and also there was no way that he could possibly stop this menace, so he'd better get going. Francis stopped him and was like, That's dumb. The police can handle this. But I know that when we visited your buddies, it hurt your feelings that they were doing fine without you, and you need to feel important, so let's go. But I got a few rules. One, I'm coming too because my powers are great and yours are all shitty right now. B, no using your powers unless it's absolutely necessary. And third, since we aren't wearing our costumes, we can't let anyone know that we are the ones fighting him. We definitely don't want to draw any extra attention to ourselves. Now hop in this flying car and let's levitate into the densely populated city like we're Harry and Ron at the beginning of the Chamber of Secrets. Which didn't have any cheating on high school sports in it, although Draco buying his whole Quidditch team new broomsticks was pretty unfair if not technically illegal. Now let's go! Man, I like Francis. The two teens arrived on the scene in their totally inconspicuous flying jeep. Dr. Light was using his implausible array of allegedly light manipulation-based powers to smack the police around and rob banks and stuff. Despite his previously stated agreement to use restraint, as soon as he showed up, Wally started using his powers. This proved to be both painful and ineffective. The rapid resolution Renegar was almost immediately zapped by a stray light blast from Dr. Light, which catches us up to the beginning of the story. Light starts gloating about how great he is and how nothing can stop him. Then Fran uses her powers to throw a bunch of cars at him. The douchey doctor doesn't know who's attacking him, and he freaks out a little bit. He unleashes his new and most dangerous power yet, which he calls the Black Light. Ooh, scary. Rather than just making people's teeth and drug posters glow, Light's new secret weapon just kinda makes it dark out. Diabolical. Fran has had enough of this shit and magnetically hurls all the nearby metal she can summon in the frightfully facial-haired fuckwad's general direction. Unable to fend off Fran's frenzy of flying pharaohist, uh, things, 
Light finds himself pummeled by the maelstrom of metal. Losing control of his abilities, the scurrilous supervillain plummets towards the ground. So Fran appropriately floats a garbage can over to catch the piece of human refuse, who, after emerging from his trash can, immediately turns himself over to the police. Hooray! Wally and Francis head back to the prearranged rendezvous point to once again attempt to meet up with the Flash. When the Scarlet Speedster arrives, the troubled teenagers fill him in on his former protege's predicament. After hearing about the situation, the Wizard of Wiz posits that the chemical-slash-lightning combo that gave both speedsters their powers might be having a weird interaction with the hormones that started being created in Wally's body when he started going through puberty. Man, I bet they never covered that in the film strip they had to watch in Wally's health class. Unsettled by this information, Wally asks if the condition is fatal. Barry responds, uh, I don't know, maybe? Look, I'd love to help, but I'm pretty busy being tried for murder right now. Want me to give you the number of some super genius doctors and scientists I know? This answer does not reassure the ailing adolescent, who reveals that he is scared that he is going to die, and that he is sure no one can possibly ever cure him. Also, he recently enrolled in some introductory chemistry classes at the local college to see if he could figure out how to cure himself. So, in summation, he knows nothing at all about the malady that is affecting him, he is positive that the smartest specialists in the world couldn't possibly figure out the nature of his illness or how to fix it, and on some level he suspects that despite having no background in science, if he audits a few classes he might be able to take a whack at it and figure this darn thing out himself. That's our Wally. Epilogue. Don is a little stressed out about the wedding, so she and Terry go out to the park and make out for a while. While they're necking, Wally leaves a message on Donna's answering machine informing her that he and Francis will indeed be attending her wedding tomorrow. Jeez, if he's RSVPing the day before the ceremony, all the good gifts on the registry are going to be taken. <laughs> who am I kidding? A guy who thinks he knows better than scientists and doctors is definitely going to go off registry for his wedding gift. Damn it, Wally! And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing okay. How are you? I am pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Nice. Don't mean to one-ups you there. No, that's quite all right. Sometimes you are okay. Sometimes you are pretty good. And that is pretty much the gamut of emotions that I generally run. <laughs> it's more nuanced than one would think. That's true. Many, many shades of slightly dark gray. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty good. So, what'd you think of this comic? Uh, it was okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I wouldn't go like... so far as to say it was pretty good, frankly. I wouldn't either. <laughs> no, like, I would say it's a placeholder, but other than holding the place for a, a wedding... Yeah. I don't really know. Well, I'll just have the wedding. It really seems like they had... Everything mapped out through the Judas contract. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, okay, well, let's do some hive mop-up stuff before the wedding. And then that took three issues. And then they're like, all right, let's do the wedding. Oh, wait, we're on issue 48. If we make it to 50, that sounds more like a, you know, milestone. So what are we going to do for these two issues? We don't want to set any storylines in motion because it's been established that we cannot wrap up any kind of an arc in two issues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got two placeholders. Last issue, we got the recombatants with the DNA agent storyline. 
And that was also a filler, but it felt like it had a whole story to tell. That it failed to tell. Yeah, but I mean, it was like, I saw what they were trying to do there. It, it felt like a thing, kind of. Yeah, we had paradise for a moment. Oh, the paradise of melting teens. Mm. This issue, we get Wally West. And Dr. Light. Yeah, I think I missed the melting teens. Boo. Once again, we don't have George Perez doing the main art for this. This time, the pencils are handled by Carmen Infantino. It also had a different letterer, which made a noticeable difference to me. Especially in the sound effect department. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about Carmen Infantino a little bit. Were you familiar with him at all? I am familiar with the name from podcasts such as this one. (laughs) Ah! Uh, But I can't remember why. Well... If we're going to have a Wally West story, it's kind of nice that we get Carmen Infantino because he was the co-creator of Kid Flash. He was also the co-creator of Barry Allen, the Flash. Hmm. He designed the look of the Flash, the red suit with the things. He's been a professional comic book artist since 1942. Whoa. Yeah. And has been super influential and is kind of the guy who developed a lot of the visual language of the Flash. And when you see, like, the motion lines and then, like, various images in different positions of the Flash through the motion lines, that's something that he kind of developed. And he he's a really good Flash artist. He has really fluid drawing style. Um, At the time that this came out, he had arguably fallen off a little bit in terms of being on it as an artist. But he is he's a great artist and he's a great Flash artist. And so if we're gonna get a Wally West story, I'm glad that it was him. Mm -hmm. That being said, I don't want to get a Wally West story. Nah, man. I'm sick of it. Yeah, fuck that guy. It's the same bullshit. Yeah. We do get a possible explanation for his shit, though. One, he is dying, apparently. Or he thinks he might be dying mm-hmm. because the doctor said he didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh, well, then I'm probably dying because it hurts when I move at super speed. But the Flash has an explanation. He's like, oh, it's because you weren't fully developed when the chemicals affected you. That's why it didn't affect me. So Wally West is going through super puberty, a potentially fatal case of super puberty. And that actually explains his behavior better than anything else I can think of. It really does. And if he were a more sympathetic character, I would feel terrible for him because regular puberty, as I recall, was was pretty rough. But I don't fucking care, man. I, I know. It's one of those where the symptoms of the disease make the individual suffering from it very unsympathetic. Mm-hmm. But it does explain, like, his, like, his moodiness, his self-centeredness, his hair growing in places where there was no hair. I mean, that probably happens off-panel, I would assume. Insecurity. His insecurity. Yeah, it's it's all there. He's going through super puberty and has been really since the start of the new Teen Titans. And it kind of explains the difference between good Wally West that we had in the original Teen Titans series, who was just nice kid, having fun. Happy-go-lucky playing a bad guitar, mm-hmm. chugging some syrup. Yep. And then this Wally West, who is a turd. The change has begun. Mm. I mean, I guess the merciful thing about this case of super puberty 
is that it is potentially fatal. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, two ways, right? Either, yeah, he dies, or he gets over it and becomes a man. Yeah. I'd settle for either one at this point. You know what I would think would be a big help to Wally West behaviorally? If he had a Maudie and a Tucker around to kick his ass a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Globetrotters. I think so, too, because Cyborg's in a funk, and they just give him shit until he gets out of it. <laughs> it's terrific. It is. I, I Yeah, no, I enjoyed the interchange between Cyborg and his grandparents so much. Him forgiving them a few issues ago didn't make any sense the way it all went down, but I'm fine with it if it leads to this relationship, which is him just being mopey and brooding, and them just giving him shit until he's like, fine, okay. And uh, it's great. There was a weird turn of phrase that Maudie had where she was like, anybody would want to date my grandson, so handsome and shiny. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, great. Now you're making fun of me for being a robot. And she responds, if you can't laugh at your own misfortunes, what can you laugh at? Uh, Maud, those aren't your misfortunes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're laughing at his misfortunes. And I think that does kind of answer your question. If you can't laugh at your own misfortunes, whose can you laugh at? Maybe it wasn't a rhetorical question. Maybe the correct answer is your grandson. It could be. But I did think that was kind of a funny turn of phrase and turn of events. Yep. I liked it. I liked it, too. And I like those uh, globe-trotting grandparents of Vic's. They're all right. He is a lucky fella. To get him to call Sarah. Uh-huh. And he's a lucky fella in a couple of regards. One in that he has wonderful, loving, shit-giving grandparents mm-hmm. like Maud and Tucker so that he doesn't end up a mopey asshole like Wally West. And the other reason he is lucky is because Sarah said yes to go to the wedding with him despite him asking her the day before the wedding. I know, I almost got nervous reading that. It gave me some anxiety reading that interchange. I was like, no, no, don't, you you can't at this point, really, cyborg. Because there's all that other weird shit too. Like he basically called her up and said, so I know things have been super weird and I've been acting super weird and... I haven't talked to you forever. Do you want to go to this wedding tomorrow? It's not a bad tactic, maybe? Just like... Shock the person Confusing? Into... Yeah. Just like, yes, wait, what? Wait, what did I just agree to? Mm-hmm. I... Huh? But he goes from being so mopey to being so excited that she says yes. It's very cute. It is very cute. I liked that. There is no way she thinks that she was his first choice, though. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody calls you the day before a wedding and invites you to go to the wedding with them. You've got to assume somebody else has dropped out. He has another weird thing, too, where he's talking to his his grandparents about her. You know, it's something to the effect of, like, yeah, I like her or I love her, but I don't really know in what kind of way. And I think she feels the same. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, is, what does that even mean, dude? <laughs> I, I have nebulous, ill-defined emotions towards her that I assume are mirrored. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Vic, uh, mostly because he has uh, Maud and Tucker around and also has a surprisingly resilient, nebulous relationship with Sarah Sims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that he's handsome and shiny and no longer, what did they say? Let's take a look. I've seen cemeteries livelier than you. And I've never seen an ocean as blue as you get. Dang. But yeah, he goes from that to screaming, Yahoo! Mm-hmm. Quite the turnaround. 
Speaking of people who were potentially not the first choice for a wedding party, let's talk about Wonder Girls Bridesmaids. They seem like a fun bunch. They're a great crew. I would love to hang out with them. Mm -hmm. They they just seem like a lot of fun. We've got her ex-roommate Sharon, who we've met before, who got kidnapped by the uh, critters-looking dudes Mm -hmm. who were working for Orm. Aquaman's brother, whose face has a Ted Cruz level of punchability. That's right. She's a lot of fun. We have Lilith, who I'm super stoked to see back. Mm -hmm. We have Coriander, obviously. Mm -hmm. And Wonder Woman, her sister. Which was really confusing to me, because when we saw her the first several times, I thought she was Wonder Girl. Because they are drawn almost identically, and they were both wearing sunglasses, which maybe is an impenetrable disguise. Ah. But yeah, Donna and Starfire are hanging out, and then the other three bridesmaids are hanging out across town. Just, you know, having a time. It is kind of funny when Starfire and Donna are approaching, Lilith, like, pauses dramatically and goes, They're coming. Mm-hmm. I bet she does that a lot. She's got that psychic thing, mm-hmm. but... They're just up the street. They're, like, less than a block away. She can actually see them. I feel like uh, Sharon and Wonder Woman must have just been like, yeah, we know. Stop. Stop doing that. Like, when they were out to order before, she's like, you're going to have a salad. Yeah, I told you that earlier when we were looking at the menu. Come on, Lilith. There's probably, like, a certain pressure hanging out with Wonder Woman where you're like, (laughs) I just have the psychic stuff. I gotta really try and... Yeah, Sharon doesn't seem to be uh, feeling that, though. Well, no, I mean, she's a totally, like, uh, comfortable in her own skin, normal-powered person. And also, I don't think knows that the people she's hanging out with are superheroes. Ah, uh, that's true. Sunglasses. Sunglasses, and I don't think she ever was privy to... Subterfuge. To, uh, yeah, I don't think she was ever privy to Donna's barely, barely kept secret identity. Despite, like, hanging out with Aqualad and... No, no, disguises work. Yeah, he was wearing the trench coat and fedora when he first showed up at the apartment. So even after he took that off, I think there's still just, like, a residual aura of incognito-ness. Mm-hmm. Just that clung around him. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, probably, that's probably it. Works. But yeah, she is super fun, and she cannot believe that Donna is going to get married. Thinks it is a bad call. And has some fun gender-reversal metaphors going along with it. Why buy the steer when you can get all the beef you want for free? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which she keeps going with. And that's a really, really fun exchange. Why are you getting married of all things? You know you don't have to these days. And Donna replies, I love him. Which is sweet. And Sharon replies, love? When does that enter into it? I love Raul and Ted and Brad. God, do I love Brad. But marriage? Why buy the steer when you can get all the beef you want for free? Then later when she's about to call Wally and not make sure that he makes it to the wedding because another point against Wally, he still hasn't called back and acknowledged that he received a wedding invitation and it's the day before the wedding. It's a lot of last minute shit going on with it this. It really is. But she says, marriage, yuck, why settle for one man when there's so many grazing in the field? She's really keeping the bull metaphor going. It makes me somewhat wonder about her dating choices. Hmm. She hasn't been dating actual steerage, has she? I think not. I, I hope not, but it's the DC Universe. Oh, we, know there, we know there are Greek gods around. We've met several of them. This could be a Zeus situation. 
I don't think so. I think that it is just a simple switcheroo with the old by the cow thing. I think you're probably right, and I like that. But do you think she knows that she was a last-minute substitute as a bridesmaid? Huh? Tara was supposed to be Donna's final bridesmaid. Oh, no. I don't think she listed Sharon before. I think that was a last-minute switcheroo, and I don't know if she knows that she was an alternate. We don't know that she was an alternate. She could have. Is there a set number of bridesmaids that you have to have? Yes. I don't know how that works, but I, I, I assume you can just pick however many you want, and I like to think that Sharon, her old roommate and fun person, was always on the list. Maybe. Or you really think she was like, I need a skinny blonde. I need twin. a. I need a. I need a young blonde lady. Yeah. Really fills out the look. We've got two people who look exactly like me. Three if you count Starfire, because we're all going to be wearing sunglasses. It's been weeks since Tara died, so <laughs> totally cool if I just do the old switcheroo. I mean, we could try Weekend at bernies her, but... <laughs> oh, no. I think that might freak Gar out. No, I, I, I think Sharon was has always been on the list. I like to think so, because I like Sharon. She's a lot of fun. Now, on the other side of the aisle, we see that Terry is getting ready. He's He and his groomsmen are being fitted for suits. See his uh, piece of shit brother, Barry, who I think is his best man. He's the guy who threw the cake. the bachelor party for mm-hmm. him. What did you start to say? Through the cake? Yeah, through the cake at him. No, he said party with the cake. <laughs> the lady. I love the idea of calling a party at Cake Fest. Cake Fest, through the Cake Fest. Yeah, through the Cake Fest for him. Yeah. Through the, you know, you're getting married cake fest. So he's there getting fitted for his suit. Dick is there too. And this other dude named Jerry, who I think we saw at the bachelor party. But how does Jerry even know Terry and Barry? Did they just meet at a, like, diminutive nicknames convention? I was going to say, that's probably exactly (laughs) what happened. Yeah. So it's Terry, Barry, Jerry, and Dick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Aren't those the pep boys? (laughs) Oh, the car selling people? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> as Manny Mo Jackin something. Yeah, how do you think they know Jerry? It seems like Jerry is Barry's friend. They seem to think along similar lines and be similar creepos. There was a turn of phrase when they see Starfire and they're all super excited because she's attractive. And he uses a really weirdly phrased, be still my beating heart. Yeah, let's take a look at that. Please, Lord, calm my rapidly beating heart. A, people don't generally talk that way. Are they trying to say he's trying to, like, paraphrase that and just doing a bad job? Uh, I think he thinks he might have a heart attack because he is so turned on watching Dick and Coriander kiss. Whereas before he thought she was a real Bowser. Yeah, so as Dick is getting fitted with his suit jacket, and he makes a point of saying, like, yeah, this is a pretty good fit. I mean, they'll need to let out the chest a little bit. I am an acrobat. But, uh, yeah, no, this is pretty good. But as he's getting fitted, Barry and Jerry go from saying, like, you don't have a girlfriend or you would have mentioned her. Oh, unless she's super ugly. That's it. You have a super ugly girlfriend. Terry, is his girlfriend super ugly? You can tell us how ugly your girlfriend is. She must be a real Bowser City. Gross. Why would you do that? It made me think, and I took a note of this, too, of the way that People, when they're interacting with relatively new people in a social situation, will sometimes be kind of like jokingly mean. 
like to just try to establish like who's the alpha in the situation yeah. type of thing. Like but, just like I've been in situations like that, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like why do people want to hang out with this person? Yeah. Do they talk like this way to everybody, and and it's like that real. It's like the measure of a, a person, like how they act in these social situations. Yeah. And, like first of all, like saying a, a a Bowser for a lady is not a nice thing to say. No. And second of all, doing it in that way, that's like this weird. It's a weird, they're oddly bullying Dick, and he's just kind of ignoring them. Which, good for him, man. Not super impressed by the groomsmen that Terry has selected. With the exception of Dick. Dick seems like a pretty solid guy for the most part. Mm -hmm. These days. Since he got that World's Worst District Attorney Association out of his life, mm -hmm. he's uh, he seems to have really turned things around. I think he's doing a lot better. Yeah, yeah, the Attorney Association was no good for him. No. You know who th I think does like Jerry and Barry? Terry. And Gar. <laughs> because on page two, we see that as part of the wedding party, Beast Boy is there fucking swimming in his wedding suit. And there's just kind of a generic handsome looking dude next to them who has not said a word during any of these proceedings. But I think Beast Boy was just like, these guys are awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be quiet and take notes because when I'm an adult, that is exactly how I'm going to act. And I'm going to maybe start trying to lean into that even a little bit more now so that people will think I'm mature, like a real Barry slash Jerry. Mm. Fucking beast boy. Taking your cues from the wrong place, my friend. Indeed. Don't be a Barry or a Jerry. Or a Terry. Gar. Be a dick. So the last issue, we had the epilogue where Terry gets a note from his ex-wife, Marsha, that she needs to talk to him about something important, something to do with the kids. And Donna said, don't worry about it. It's nothing. And this issue, we find out, oh, it was nothing. She just wanted to make sure they have a sitter all the time or something. It seems like they totally dismissed that whole storyline in like half a sentence after leaving it as this big hanging Chekhov's gun in the last issue and then this issue it's just like oh that gun was just a cigarette lighter mm -hmm. I feel kind of ripped off yeah the only thing he says by way of explanation uh when Donna is like I told you I was right is like yeah I guess I was a little paranoid yeah speaking of being paranoid I'm getting a little bit paranoid reading this when Jenny has her doll Mary that she's hanging out to, that she's talking to. And everybody treats that like it's no big deal. And I think it is actually no big deal. She just has a doll that she likes. But I've been so conditioned by comic books that if there's a little kid that is talking to a doll, it's like, that doll's going to kill somebody. Mm. Or that doll's an evil ghost. Or something is up with that doll. And I got to believe, given her life experiences, Donna's got to be feeling the same way. I'm wondering if, like, during the drive at some point, she's just going to be like, hey, can I see Mary real quick? And then just, like, super punches the doll, like, 50 times. It's like, okay, this seems to be legit. Okay, you can have Mary back now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, or she'll just strangle it like a cat. <laughs> did you get weird vibes off of the doll, or did you? No, I didn't. It was drawn innocently enough that I wasn't concerned, like... We have a elf with a gun's going to pop out or anything. Well, I mean, we did have a different storyline where people were given dolls that murdered them and their grandparents before. Oh, you didn't read that issue. That sounds horrible. It was terrible. <laughs> there was, yeah, there was a like a, a puppet dude who was gifting dolls to uh, kids. Yeah, I forgot. We had a guest host that, oh. that issue. That's probably why you're not concerned about this Mary situation. Dang. I do not trust this doll. This from the man who has a creepy doll somewhere in this room. 
That doll's not creepy. It's adorable. He would never harm anyone, Corey. You should put a picture of that doll on, on the, the social media stuff and see what people think. <laughs> it's creepy as fuck. No. That doll would never murder anyone, Corey. That's reassuring, especially with your crazy eyeballs like that. You wouldn't try to take it away from me, would you? Nope. I don't even want to know Corey? where it is. You don't? Nope. Not even a little curious? <laughs> nope. Okay. That doesn't creep you out? All right. In that panel, that's creepy as fuck because it looks evil. Yeah. I, I'm okay. I didn't, saying, I missed, might I be, didn't might be foreshadowing. Before. And that she's like, I'm fine, Daddy. Me and Mary are just talking. When you read it like that, it sounds creepy as... How else do you read that? I'm fine, Daddy. Mary and I were just talking. That sounds like they've got something to hide. No, it doesn't. Yeah, Corey. What were you and Mary talking about? Uh, you know, kid stuff. Are you and Mary plotting against me? For extra television time and to stay up late because I'm a little kid who's innocent, Dad. <laughs> huh? All right, your story checks out. All right, thank you. Jesus Christ. Put me on the side of creepy dolls. That's uncomfortable, <laughs> man. So we talked about how we get a real asshole back in this issue with Wally West. Mm -hmm. He's not the only one because we also get Dr. Light. Nope, but this is a two-asshole issue. It's a real two-asshole situation. Yep. Um. <laughs> 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 is that so funny? <laughs> I don't know. So, Dr. Light has no real motivation to show up at this point. Apparently, he's quit the Fearful Five again. Or been thrown out of them and said he quit. Fearsome. Fearsome five, what did I call him? Fearful. Oh. Because <laughs> they're afraid of that fucking doll. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be? It's not that creepy. It's pretty creepy. So yeah, Dr. Light apparently has quit the Fearsome Five, or got kicked out of the Fearsome Five, and is now telling people he quit the Fearsome Five. He just decides to go to Central City and rob a bank, because, hey, he's Dr. Light, and he wants to show the world that he's evil and Dr. Light and can rob banks. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair enough. I guess he's a supervillain. That's kind of what they do. But it seems like he's trying to make it a big deal that he's doing it. And everyone else is making a big deal that he's doing it. And I don't know. Doesn't really work for me. He's got some new shit that he does. He's got his old tricks in which he makes things out of hard light and makes them pick up money and stuff. <sighs> it just seems like such bullshit. It's hard light holograms. You know, I know we've like exist. been over this before, but it just seems wrong that you can use light to pick up money. It seems odd to me that he demonstrates a new power, which he calls the black light, which just makes everything every groovy, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's like I can control all light, including black light. And the way the comic book illustrates that is it just everything's dark and nobody can see anything except for him, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's not what a black light is. No, it's not. We had that Motley Crue Theater of Pain black velvet poster. Mm, that was pretty sweet. Oh, that wasn't a black light poster. That was a black velvet poster. It was both. It was? Yeah, because... It scared the shit out of the, me. The happy and sad face, like, they had the airbrushing on them with that, like, kind of neon paint. Oh. That would, that would actually show up under the black light. Yeah, so let's talk about, like, do you think he was practicing when he first got his black light thing? He was just sitting around getting stoned with the rest of the Fearsome Five? Yeah, probably. Like they so had they got sick of his shit. And that's like probably they, why they, they had the out. stoned again poster on the wall, and yeah, he was just being a little bit too aggressive with the cipher. 
I will not hand you the bong. <laughs> puff, puff, pass, mammoth. Puff, puff, pass. They're like, man, this guy's a jerk. Shimmer, I don't want to hear your origin story again. It's a bong, not a microphone. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. To me, my bong. <laughs> to me. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's probably why he's on his own. That's why they kicked him out. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was thinking of when he was demonstrating the black light power is yeah. if if it worked like one of those lights they use in the hotel rooms to check for... It's like, ah, oh, there's juice everywhere! <laughs> Central City is filthy! Oh, God, no! Uh, ah. I mean, I think... Francis's magnet powers did do a pretty jo good job beating him up, but I think maybe just him blacklighting an entire urban center may have also just led to him just being like, oh shit, this is fucking gross. Oh, oh God, no, no, that, that, just take me back to jail. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Thank you. You're welcome. That's all I ask, that you acknowledge the possibility that an urban center is just covered with gross cheap hotel room stuff and that dr light is equally freaked out by protein stains <laughs> i mean he's a piece of crap but he's human <laughs> okay <laughs> one thing that i forgot to say about another thing that's awesome about cyborg's grandparents yeah. is uh when he's sad they gave him snacks and oh, i didn't even notice that what snacks did they give him there's a weird combination but it looked like um chocolate chip cookies and pink lemonade all right. Which I was like, hey, I've never tried that one before. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be. That wouldn't be like a dunking situation. Oh no, 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 no. More but... like a like a weird chaser. Yeah. Well, I mean, next time I'm feeling a little bit okay and not pretty good, mm -hmm. I might have to give a uh, chocolate chip cookies and pink lemonade a shot. Yeah, a real switcheroo. You got to do that just right though, because. I think our primary experience with pink lemonade was uh, when my mom was really into Crystal Light. Oh. That would be terrible with chocolate chip oh. cookies. Also, why is the lemonade pink? I don't know. It's got to just be food coloring, right? It's not, there aren't like blood lemons, are there? I don't like think so. Like there's blood oranges? There's strawberry blood lemonade diamonds. that you can get. Blood diamond lemonade. <laughs> pink lemonade isn't strawberry lemonade. No, but they sell it. I never thought of it, but pink lemonade is an abomination, There's Corey. no reason why it should be pink. <laughs> Now that I think about it. My God. Might as well be What blue. are they feeding us? Yeah, like blue raspberries. Yeah, that's another one that doesn't make any damn sense. What is going on? Fruit is the wrong color. Dr. Which, Light's afraid of dirty cities. Which flavor is it that the artificial flavor of it is made out of beaver buttholes? Uh, fabuloso. It's not fabuloso, that's grape. I know it's not grape is made out of beaver anuses because I don't like grape flavored things. And after I read this, I was just like, I don't want to eat beaver butthole extractions. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. We are going to pause this and I am going to look it up because I swear I'm not making this up. There is a common artificial flavor that is made out of beaver buttholes. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll be back in a second. Castorium. The beaver butt secretion used as an additive. The FDA considers it a natural flavor since it is derived from a natural source and can be used to add fruity strawberry or raspberry notes or as a substitute for vanilla. The compounds come from the beaver's diet of barks and leaves. It's castorium and it is to make strawberry or raspberry or vanilla flavors. So, Corey, beaver butthole could be in anything. 
Those poor beavers. I don't want to know this. I'm sorry. You can't unknow it now. But wait, it would have to... Th- no. There's no way this can be mass-produced because... An average beaver has 100 to 200 grams of caster sacks. So less than 2,000 wild beavers. So less than... <laughs> oh, the Canadian pence is in danger. So less than 2,000 wild beavers are trapped and killed each year for castorium, mostly in Canada. After the show, we are going to click this link that says, what is the extraction process? But I can't complete a show after I have that knowledge. I don't think so. I'm never going to eat a fruit-flavored thing that's not a fruit again, probably. It's not in pink lemonade, is it? Probably No, because it's not strawberry or raspberry flavored. Mm-hmm. No, it's just pink flavored. <sighs> Cyborg, you're safe. <laughs> Close call, buddy. Beaver butt. Yeah. How the fuck did they figure that out? Were they eating every animal's butthole? <laughs> Just like, oh, oh, Steve, oh, uh, moose asshole is not good. It was like uh, Sarah Silverman, like, talking about licking her dog's butt, because she was like, why is it so, why does he always do it early? I wonder if that is where that came from, if they discovered that because they saw a dog licking its own butt, and they're like, maybe, and then they didn't, were just like, no, but... <laughs> Maybe there's something. And then they just tried every animal till they got to beavers. And then we're just like, hmm, strawberry. Finally, after all this time, we've found a winner. <laughs> yeah, no, how the fuck do you figure that out, dude? I'm going to lick this moose's asshole again just as a control group. Right? We're just going to get a bunch of <laughs> woodland animals and line them up to start licking. <laughs> I hate science. going to be an interesting show. <laughs> Castorium. But, okay, no, that's not where cast- castor oil comes from. Castor beans. Okay. So that's that's okay. You can still have that. I don't want to have castor oil. I'm just saying. It's better than licking a beaver's butt. You should be an advertising great. Thank you. Castor oil. Better than <laughs> licking a beaver's butt. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. I hope there's no additives in this beer. I mean, there's CBD in it. Pretty sure that's plant based. <laughs> this stands for Castorian Beaver Dunghole. <laughs> I've never heard that. Uh, I've never heard the word dung hole before either, but I kind of like it. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's where dung comes from. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, what was your favorite sound effect? My favorite sound effect was from page eighteen, and it is the noise that it makes when a magnetically controlled garbage can catches an asshole. <laughs> uh, in this case, Doctor Light, and the noise is honk. Honk was pretty good. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of sound effects that I don't know if either of them qualifies as my favorite, but they certainly stood out to me because they were very difficult to read. Uh, We talked about how there was a different letter. It's Bob LaPan, who we've seen his work before, and it generally didn't read this way to me, which makes me wonder if it's Carmen Infantino's drawing the sound effects in this. But there is a car being crushed up, and it makes the noise grin divided by DDD. 
Like it's G-R-I-N-N, and then there's like a little line, and then there's three Ds, but each of the letters is kind of scrunched up, which is an interesting effect, but it did make it really difficult to read, which kind of took me out of the reading experience for a little bit. Yeah, I read it as like a grind, but but meaning like the sound of cars crashing into something harder than them. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking like it was a gear grinding thing. I was reading it as grind too, but it was weird and a little bit confusing. And the other one was Zcrash. Three Zs and then a Mm K-R-A-S-H. Which, that one is Dr. Light shooting a light beam at some cop cars. Which you wouldn't think would make any noise at all, but it's... The angle that it's coming at that makes it difficult to read because I wasn't sure whether I should read it vertically or horizontally because the letters are coming down at a 45 degree angle and they're all like crackly with electricity, which makes the Z's look like N's and then the H look like a serifed I, Mm -hmm. which was confusing. I, I didn't hate it and it did have an interesting look to it, but it really did underline that there was a different creative team on that part of the book. It bugged me. Yeah, it did me too. I will say the bookends of the story that are not the Wally West Dr. Light story, it made me take note of the lettering a little bit more, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Todd Klein, who is not... I, normally we get Ben Oda, I believe, as the, as the letterer on these books, but Todd Klein is an amazing fucking letterer. He did all of the Sandman comic books lettering and won a bunch of Eisner Awards for that because... Each character has their own font that's associated with them that he developed, and he's a really innovative and really wonderful letterer. And in this, it just, there was something about the style and the pacing of the letters that really made a huge difference. And Bob LaPan's were still fine. I mean, still very legible. He's he's not a bad letterer at all, but it was a different style that it his look more just like, just kind of italicized typewriter. Mm-hmm letters which is still super impressive way better penmanship than i could ever manage but it looked different and the spacing within the word balloons was different and it stood out and really highlighted that this was a different creative team another thing that did that is there were time jumps in the wally west dr light story that we're really used to having the visual language be really consistent from perez that when there is a flashback we'll have rounded panel corners Mm mm-hmm And there wasn't that in this. And it was really, really jarring for me when suddenly it was an hour earlier and there was no visual signifier of that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, some weird sound effects. Corey, did you find a timestamp in this? Oh, yeah, there were a few. They really hit you over the head with them. Yep. So I tried to go with one that was a little bit less obvious than the the musical cues, which Mm -hmm. are the ones that I, you know, first noticed. And so what I went with is on page five, and it's um, one of the little girls that I think is going to be one of the bridesmaids is wearing a shirt that has a little rainbow suspended between two clouds, which is something that I feel like I remember seeing on t-shirts and stickers and stuff a lot in the the 80s Hmm. as a kid. It was this really popular motif. Yeah, I can see that. Who is that kid? Because that's not Jenny. Does Terry have more than one kid? Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Cindy. It's her stepsister, Cindy. Oh, is she from the adopted family yeah. that she found out about in the Who is Donna Troy episode? Yeah, the dad jokes guy's kid. Okay. Oh, good for her. Mm-hmm. 
That was a very, uh, very clever one. I just went with the very obvious one, which is there is a running radio station that is being listened to in the Wally West story, where first Wally and Francis are listening to it, and it says, That was Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. Coming up next is The Culture Club with Karma Chameleon. And then later on, we see another dude walking down the street, who I believe we will probably get to in a little bit. <laughs> I don't see how we can. Uh, who is listening to a boombox or a very large cellular phone. Mm. But he's listening to the same radio station, and it is saying, that was the Culture Club with Karma Chameleon. Coming up next, the Eurythmics with... And then he is interrupted. Mm-hmm. But either way, very obvious timestamps that really clearly put this issue coming out in the early 80s. Yep. Let's talk about that fellow we mentioned before. Sartorially speaking, what fashion choices within this issue do you feel are worthy of highlighting? We have to talk about page 16 and the guy that I call New Wave Guy, but I spelled it just like N-U. Oh, like, because like, he's probably listening to New Shoes. Oh, uh, if he was in Portland, he was, but mm. I don't know if they... They were a nationwide band. They were a huge act, Corey. They did have a hit, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, this guy has... Wow. Wow. Okay, he is wearing white-rimmed sunglasses that are little trapezoids that meet in the center. He is wearing a leather jacket that is covered with chains and rivets and tight leather pants and what are very clearly superhero gloves and boots. Mm -hmm. I don't believe this gentleman is supposed to be a superhero. Mm -mm. I think he is part of a sight gag that he is wearing clothing that has a lot of metal on it because when Frances demonstrates her control over magnet powers by pelting Dr. Light with everything that's made out of metal that's nearby. It rips all of his clothes off. And he seems pretty happy about it. I mean, he's saying, hey, what's happening, mama? <laughs> <laughs> and then we see that under that he is wearing yellow and red polka dot uh, boxer briefs and uh, has a hole in his sock, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually appreciated both. I, I, I had New Wave Guy version one and version two. <laughs> So, with clothes and with underclothes. But doesn't that look like one of those giant, like, early 80s cell phones? Yeah, or like a big walkie-talkie. I think it's supposed to be one of those radios with the... Like, just a transistor radio like that he's ass, carrying yeah, around? portable transistor. It radio. would seem like it would be more on brand if he was carrying, like, a boombox on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. But it also, just his outfit, it looks very much like he could be a superhero. Mm-hmm. And I wonder to what extent in the DC universe, people just dress like superheroes walking around in their day to day once superheroes have led the way with like, oh yeah, we can just dress like this. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that there is probably kind of a superheroic lifestyle brand that's associated with it. We've often seen people wearing t-shirts that will have like the logo of superheroes on it. But yeah, why not wear just a so whole superhero costume if it's been established that that's what some people do. I'm sure some people totally would. I would feel so uncomfortable. It would be like dressing like a doctor and exactly. going on an airplane. Exactly. Yeah. Just that's what I was, now that's exactly I do kind what I was of want to say. go around wearing like full doctor gear. Like I'm not talking to going around wearing scrubs. I mean going around with one of those weird headbands with the, the metal with the metal, yeah. metal disc on the mm -hmm. on the forehead stethoscope. Mm -hmm. Um. Just carrying a sphygmomanometer around with me all the time. Uh, what's that do? It's the thing, it's the cuff that measures blood pressure. It's called a sphygmomanometer. Those are very tight. Yeah. They're mm. fun to say, though. You want, you want to try? Sphig? Mo. 
Is it like sphygmomanometer? Yeah. Sphygmomanometer. You're catching on. All right. Sphygmomanometer. 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 Electroelectrograph. I don't know what that is. Electroencephalograph. EEG. Oh. Beep, 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 beep. We should totally dress like doctors, Courtney. <laughs> we can sing that song. It'll be a delight. We'll save so many lives. <laughs> I, yeah, I would be totally a one-trick pony. I would just have the swing momentometer and not like somebody's joking. I'm just like, put it on their arm. Ooh, your blood pressure is through the roof. You must be really stressed out, buddy. Yep. Well, you got the EEG. I'm just going to wheel this machine around. <laughs> yep, you're dying. <laughs> Doesn't look good. That would be the best response. <laughs> Is there a doctor in the house? Yeah. Ooh. Doesn't look good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Back to my seat. My work is done here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that guy is dressed fucking awesome. I like his outfit a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that I could pull off, but man, good for him. <laughs> but you should try. I don't know even where you get clothes like that, though. No, I don't think you can. They don't make them. No. I mean, I think you have to... pay somebody a lot Yeah, you have to make them yourself. Or, yeah, pay a riveter. Yeah, or Top dollar. Fashion. A steeplejack. Guru. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. A fashion guru slash steeplejack. Top dollar. There was lots of other clothes, but I... I don't know, I feel like... Yeah, it's it's just going to be downhill from there. You talked about the nice t-shirt that Cindy was wearing. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of Care Bears-y. Mm-hmm. Not bad. But, yeah, that guy just takes the cake right to the cake fest. Right to the cake fest. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite panel? Rather than going serious and graphical, as I often do, I went goofy on this one. And there was two goofy ones, and they both contained Dr. Light. Ah. Literally containing Dr. Light in both of them. Oh, I had that one, I believe, as well. Page 18, I called it Garbage Light. Oh, I call it Trash Goes in a Trash Can. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, Dr. Light dazedly poking his head out of the trash can where he has just been magnetically stuffed by Francis. And then just kind of popping his head out to say, Just take me to jail. You said you had a second Dr. Light related one? Yeah, it's not as good as the Garbage in a Garbage Can one, but it's uh, it's where the light attacking light happens in the lamp post controlled again by francis kane wraps him up and bops him on the head and he says ah attacked by a lamppost and perhaps a street sign as well because he is not living on easy street oh no did you catch that i did yeah the street sign that is wrapped around him magnetically is for easy street I had the panel right after that where he is freeing himself from the lamppost because it looks like he is blasting himself in the dick with a laser. Satisfying. For us. <laughs> yes, I. hopefully not for him. I'm sorry, I just gotta get this out of my head. It's gonna be way easier to get a hold of actual strawberries than beaver asses. <laughs> like, why would... Why would... I think is individual strawberries... Yes, I think it's... Pro- I think it is super concentrated. Okay. Back to the scenario we were talking before. <laughs> it's still going to taste bad when you lick it the first time. How did they figure this well, out? I, what I think was, somebody licked a beaver's asshole and was like, this tastes like a million strawberries. Oh, man. Oh, God. That can't be good. Like too much I wouldn't good think thing. so. I think it sounds like too many strawberries, but they're like, but 
There's something about this. The other scientists are like, stop licking him. <laughs> Leaves him for the rest of us. <laughs> oh, you think Dr. Light was in on the end? I don't see who else would be there. <laughs> lick, lick, pass. <laughs> don't bogart that beaver asshole. Tutti oh. frutti is my favorite strain. This beaver's dung hole tastes <laughs> delicious. <laughs> Hints of vanilla. It just doesn't make sense. Well, it's a strange world we live in, Corey. It really is. Let's keep it that way. Well, I think we're doing our part. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were in the middle of a thing. That was basically oh. done. Okay. Let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to concentrate on? Maybe I just missed him, but I had a rough time in this issue finding a legitimate bozo. So, I went with a perceived insult, Ah, which was the way that Cyborg felt about Maud calling him handsome and shiny. <laughs> oh! Because she was like, you're handsome and shiny. He's like, oh, no, you're making jokes too? Grandma, come on. Well, I mean, she is clearly referencing the fact that he's a robot man. Yeah, but it wasn't mean-spirited in any way, shape, or form, I thought. Okay. But that's the way he took it, so that's So he's what a I... real bozo. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Light calls the police fools, which I always like use of the word fool, especially oh, from a supervillain. Mm-hmm. So I was tempted by that, but I decided to go with Donna giving Terry some shit at the end of the book. They're sitting watching some kites fly while she takes notes about things she has to prep for the wedding. And Terry tells her that uh, she's being too busy, basically, and she should relax some. And she responds, you nut, I want to get this just right. I'm only getting married once, unlike some people I know. Zing. Snap, you bozo. Mm -hmm. Then she calls him a nut again. She does. There was the thing about that particular exchange between the two that I also uh, had some thoughts about. And that's that one of the things, like, she's being all stressed out about the wedding. And he says some stuff that, like, kind of calms her down. And then he makes a joke about, like, oh, that's just a line from this book I read about, like, 50 lines of how to pick up women. And she's like, oh, you're not. Uh-huh. He read that fucking book. Oh, man. he absolutely read that book. He keeps that book under his bed. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think her teasing him about... The fact that he is a divorcee in that context was a pretty good zinger and kind of cute. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, Mm -hmm. and also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. In this issue, who was your Speedy? I think it may not come as a surprise to you that I picked uh, the whiniest of the whiners, Mr. Wally West. Yeah. He is a real turd in this episode. I'm sorry you're dying by puberty. I'm yes. sure it sucks. Shut up. Everything about him. He does just a bad job across the board. His whole reaction to the crisis that Dr. Light is causing is, This is the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm the only person who can do anything about it. Only I can't do anything about it. But nobody else try. Why does all this bad stuff happen to me? Uh. I try and run away and just keep pulling me back. And also, I can't run because it hurts when I run. And my girlfriend's powerful, and I don't feel good about it. She's making her car fly. I don't like flying cars. No, I saw the absent-minded professor one time, and it scared me. I'm still scared. (laughs) I'm still scared of Flubber. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, stupid Wally West. That's a delightful movie. Fred McMurray was a real treat in it. It was a hoot. Goddamn Wally West. (laughs) 
Mm. Flying cars are great. Stupid fucking Wally West. Yeah, that's why I had him. Who did you have? I also had Wally West for oh. similar reasons. Okay. Yeah, he's a real turd bag in this episode. Conversely, as my Aqualad, I had Francis Kane. I had Francis Kane as well, with the caveat that she's so good in so many ways. Why does she stick around and put up with his garbage? They've been friends since childhood, so she knew him back when he was just a happy-go-lucky syrup-chugging galoot. I think maybe she's hoping he'll come out of the other end of this whole mega super puberty thing. An okay guy. And, I mean, that's not a winning strategy in general in life. But, I mean, after he turns into the regular Flash, Wally West is a great character again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know why she does that. But what I do know that she does is a great job in this issue. She does. She cans the criminal. She does. She single-handedly takes out Dr. Light and talks about how she really likes having superpowers now and she thinks they're great. Which Wally again brought up that nonsense about like, I never asked to have superpowers and I always didn't want to have super speed. Such revisionist history. He absolutely wanted super speed. He was the president of the Flash fan club and was absolutely fucking delighted when he became Kid Flash. Mm -hmm. Not cool, Wally. But yeah, no, Francis does a great job. Uh, The caveat that I would have would be, as much as I like flying cars, she really seems to have taken a page out of the uh, Teen Titans playbook on inconspicuous behavior because she is just flying this Jeep all around town without any thoughts to how that looks to other people. True. She's claiming that she wants to keep things incognito, but uh, as neato as a flying car might be, incognito it is not. Ah. That said, she also uses her powers in a way that I think makes up for that mistake, which is by making Wally smack himself in the dick because he's wearing a watch. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's what she's doing. <laughs> we discussed this beforehand. There is a scene in which she stops uh, Wally from running at super speed and makes him get in the Jeep instead. But there is an impact point, and it really does look like he is hitting himself in the dick. And in a previous panel, we did see that he is wearing a watch. So I think she is using her magnet powers to make Wally punch himself in the dick. Which is maybe another reason, potentially, why she is still with Wally. (laughs) (laughs) That does seem pretty funny. Yeah. Great job, Francis Kane. You are this issue's Aqualad. Nice. Well, Corey, that leaves us with but one final question. Wapoot! In the year of our Lord 1984 and the month of our Lord December, what is Aqualad probably up to, Corey? I was afraid you would ask that. December of 84 was a rough month in many ways for world events. Indeed. In light of that, Aqualad had himself a good time and learned a few pretty decent crime-fighting slash solving techniques. Indeed he did. I'm glad you mentioned this. One thing he learned was that coffee, ground coffee specifically, hides drug smells from airport drug dogs. Uh Uh-huh. Which I'm sure led to him being able to bust some bad guys in the 80s trying to sell all that cocaine. Uh Uh-huh. Another thing that he learned is you can really screw up a criminal's game by stuffing a banana in their tailpipe. Or a cop's game. Well, as it happened in the particular movie that you were citing. I'm just saying that the line is blurry Uh from time to time. Indeed. He also learned that 
uh, Victor Maitland is a bad guy. Sure. Got a weird thing on his forehead. Did he learn that the Pointer Sisters are still burning doing the Neutron Dance? He learned that as well. Did he learn that the heat was on? Of course. Like, he learned so many things. How did he learn these? You're maybe wondering. I am. I am. So, yeah. These I, were just wild stabs in the dark, I was wondering. It was wondering. a Friday night, and he was just kicking around, looking for something to do. And uh, walking down the street by the local movie theater where he was, it was the premiere of Beverly Hills Cop, the first movie. Ah. The first movie of the franchise. It wasn't the first movie. It was people weren't watching Beverly Hills Cop thinking, the train, it'll come out of the screen, and they fled the theater. Nope. Okay. No, no. I was confused no. for a second. It's, I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't say okay. that really well. Uh, so, yeah, that's what he was up to. He's watching well, Beverly Hills Cop nice. um, eating some snacks. That was the, the soundtrack to that movie was the first album I ever bought with my own money. Axel F was like the coolest thing you could do yeah. with a keyboard for yeah. the longest time. It was, although, really, I bought it for the Pointer Sister song. Neutron Dance is a great fucking song. It's a good song. Yeah, still burn. Still burn. Doing the Neutron Dance. Mm-hmm. When the Neutron movie came out, I was hoping <laughs> against hope that they would do a dance mm. and still be burning. Should have talked to a Daft Punk. I know. I know. A missed opportunity. Mm. But inspired by the film Beverly Hills Cop, Aqualad decided to, well, okay. He was inspired by the film Beverly Hills Cop, but that comes into play later. Mm. He decided to go to England, where he's had some bad times before in the UK in general, and worse times in Scotland than England. Although mixed bag, because he did have that fun, flirtatious interaction with the Loch Ness Monster. monster. But then there was the Sam and Malfeasus incident, in which he was mind-controlled into murdering a uh, fisherman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... Mixed bag, but he heard that one of his favorite poets, Ted Hughes, was being named the Poet Laureate of England. And so he wanted to go check that out. When he was over there, he uh, ended up bumping into another of his favorite artists, Def Leppard drummer Rick Allen. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. They started hanging out. They were having a pretty good time. But Rick was in his cups a little bit. So was Aqualad. He said something that kind of rubbed Aqualad the wrong way. And so he wasn't really mad at him, but he's like, you know what would be a pretty good joke? I'm going to put a banana in his tailpipe. And so he put a banana in the tailpipe of Rick Allen's car. And thankfully, he did not find out about this because it would have broken poor Aqualad's heart if he knew that he was the one responsible for Rick Allen's car malfunctioning. Rick Allen got into an accident and that was how he lost his arm. Oh, Aqualad. There is a biopic, actually, about Def Leppard called Hysteria, I believe, that uh, was put out uh, by VH1. It is not a good movie, but Anthony Michael Hall does play their producer, Mutt Lang, in it, and uh, that was kind of fun. Okay. Anyway, uh, Aqualad did not find out that he was the one responsible. He was uh, pretty drunk. He did not remember putting the banana in the tailpipe, uh, which is probably for the best. Good. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. What a year, what a month. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, maybe wait for the next episode (laughs) and leave a review of that one. Speaking of next episode, Corey, Mm. we've got a Defenders episode coming up next. Mm -hmm. The last Defenders episode wrapped up the Red Raja storyline. 
We still have a giant-sized Defenders that we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, shit. I think we're going to have to go back and uh, hit giant-sized Defenders number three for the next one. All right. I'll start working on some Manhattan recipes. Mm -hmm. Did we land on three being an appropriate number? Or a uh, sufficiently inappropriate number? Three was still a lot. Try for three next time? Yeah, it's a nice round number. Yeah. It's got some curves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Three. a beaver's butt. <laughs> if you would like to donate monetarily to our cause, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. We've got some new rewards for tiers of donation that are up there, and people have been responding really well for that. Thank you. Mm. I appreciate that. And uh, you'll be getting your goodies soon. One of those goodies is a monthly podcast that Lisa and I host called... What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. It's a show whose name has diminishing returns, but whose content hopefully doesn't. But uh, that is available to anybody who donates to the Patreon at any level. So, yeah, you should check that out if you are so inclined. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all of the internet places. And if we're not there, then hey, look inside your heart. I'm there. I think Corey's there. Sure. I got a sphygmomanometer. I have an electroencephalograph. Oof, getting kind of crowded in that hut. But, but we're, we're well there. informed. We're waving at you. I'm waving right now. Wave. It's a good time. So, in summation, tighten up the defense, catch the wave of the future with us, and hang ten on it. Cowabunga. Cowabunga. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> and they know it. I think if you had the flavor of a million strawberries in your mouth at once, it would be like an H.P. Lovecraft type situation where you would be turned into a gibbering madman. Hmm. I always thought it was gibbering. Maybe it is. Like gibberish. I gibbering. Gibberish. 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 Billy Gibson. CC Top is pretty good. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Are you trying to distract me, man? Because it works. <laughs> yes, I am. No, I think you can't have that many strawberries on your tongue. No matter where they come from, but especially not... Yeah, I think I think it would be like... From an animal's butthole. Yeah, like if you tried to eat a whole rainbow in a pill. You'd Wait, probably like die. A, like a Skittle? Yeah, I'm saying Skittles are deadly. Do you think Skittles use beaver buttholes? I don't see how they couldn't. <laughs> Do you think that... I've eaten so many Skittles in my lifetime. I have oh, never liked no. Skittles, and I don't like fruit-flavored candy. Well, how do you do? Good for you, Mr. I have almost certainly <laughs> eaten less beaver ass than you. That's just a proud moment. You look so pleased. I am. <laughs> So you can get off your high horse, Corey. I am <laughs> shot down. I am shot down. I have eaten all the beaver butt. You have eaten none. Uh, Do you think that Barry and Jerry and Terry like to hang out with Carrie Kittle's uh, former New Jersey Nets guard? I don't know who that is. 
<laughs> it's the only person named Kerry I can think of. Oh, there's probably others. Oh, there's Kerry Strug. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's another one. You think Kerry Strug and Kerry Kittles know each other? I think they have, like, a club. Like, Kerry's? Mm-hmm. Is it just them and John Kerry? <laughs> That'd be a fun crowd. Yeah. All right. Okay.